I'm Jenny Rerick. I'm Jay Weedle. And you're listening to the Fit to Speak podcast. A show dedicated to giving coaches and trainers practical tips on how to communicate what they know in a way other people understand. Hi, Jay. We're back to talk about assertive communication. What's going on, mate? How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm ready to communicate assertively. Obviously. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is a topic I've been thinking a lot about lately because it's one that I've been addressing with some of the people I've been coaching, but it's something you and I have also talked a lot about is the personal and professional advantages of communicating assertively. And mm-hmm. in order to have this conversation, we need to define what assertive communication is. So I'll share my thoughts and then I'd love to hear what you think. Mm-hmm. There's a saying I've heard, and to me, it epitomizes what assertive communication is. And it goes like this, say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it in a mean way. So it's like a proverb. It's, just, it's like somebody had an ad. They put that on a t-shirt. If you I'll want. make you a t-shirt. Brilliant. Brilliant. Or like a coaster. How would you describe assertive communication? I'm not sure I have something as succinct as that. This is maybe be this is a bit more of a napkin than a than a than a t-shirt. Yeah, I don't think I can do a much better job than than what you just described there. I think it's knowing your message and knowing who you're speaking to, because assertive communication can be different depending on who's receiving it. I've used this example time and time again. I'll probably use it all the time. But if I speak to Executive Joe the same way I speak to Grandma Betty, or if I deliver my message the same way, I'm probably going to do one of them a disservice. So assertiveness to this person might look a particular way, might choose my tone, my speed, how I deliver it. And assertiveness to the other person might look a particular way. And I think knowing your audience and that's something we've talked about in the past as well but knowing your audience can help dictate your assertiveness and and what dials you turn up and down depending on the person yeah the delivery is absolutely going to depend on the audience although regardless of whether you're talking to executive joe or grandma betty assertive communication is you deciding on what your needs wants feelings are And Mm -hmm. you having the confidence to share those with those people in a way that they're going to understand. Assertive communication, I find it easier to understand when you look at it on the spectrum of the other styles of communication. There are four of them that are generally defined. There's Mm -hmm. passive communication, passive aggressive communication, assertive communication, and then aggressive communication. Are you open to talking about these four? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Passive communication. If you were interacting with someone who communicated passively, what are things you would notice about them? Is there a right and wrong answer here? No, not necessarily. I think lack of eye contact, low tone, mumbling, slouch, maybe in body language, sitting back, not looking, being distracted. There's something on on my own track there. Yeah. Not maybe over-explaining sometimes can come across as passive. So if you're trying to constantly justify that what you're saying is worthy, using hedging language, kind of, sort of, I think, maybe, just, mm-hmm. or just simply agreeing with what everyone else says all of the time <laughs> and not sharing your opinions or viewpoints on things, even though you have them, because you deem yourself as being less important than the people you're communicating with. 
they're all really interesting points because I, I was not thinking of it that way. So that's enlightening and educational for me as well. How do you think it feels to be a passive communicator? Oh, now I think about it, it must feel shitty because the over-explaining and the hedging language, I've done it countless times in certain relationships. I'm not sure why. I probably have to do a bit of dig a, a deeper digging for that, but I've definitely done it. And it's not great. It's not, it's not a it's not a fun place to be. It's pretty tiring as well. Yeah. I think it, it probably well, you're constantly being deferential to the other person of mm -hmm. you know better than I know. Yeah. And over time, I would imagine that would degrade your level of self-esteem. All right. It's like an extra therapy call this week. <laughs> passive Ooh. communication. Okay. Then next is passive aggressive. What characterizes passive aggressive communication? Oh my God. You tell me. You you go on this one. I don't know if I can talk about this one. This one is is like a trigger for me. Indirectness. Usually you're communicating a message you have, but through indirect channels. Maybe you're sharing your opinion or viewpoint with someone else in a, the hope that they'll tell the person that you really wanted to tell originally. It's gossip. Gossip. Yep. It's saying things sarcastically. Sarcasm is a huge red flag in communication for passive aggressiveness, because often sarcasm is the truth just hidden behind humor. Mm -hmm. And also it's, it's something that's less tangible in explaining is when you're interacting with someone who's passive aggressive, it feels really bad to be on the receiving end. And yet there's nothing, you have no hard evidence to give back to them to say, I don't like this. Yeah. It just feels bad to receive communication from someone who's passive aggressive. Because there's a get out of jail free card attached to it, which is, I was only joking. Don't take it so seriously, right. which is makes you feel even fucking worse. <laughs> That's right. Passive aggressive. The, I think the name is interesting because it has the word aggressive in there. Although I would say most people who probably communicate passive aggressively are actually communicating through low self-esteem so on the passive side of it mm. then they're trying to overcompensate it's protective i think uh, speaking from experience it, it's it's protective it's you get to throw your ideas out there and if they're not managed well as i said you can pass them off as well i was only joking or you by delivering them aggressively you can appear above reproach because people don't want to engage with somebody who not as much anyway, unless you get two people who are passive aggressive together. And that's uh, always an interesting Christmas party, but that I digress. If you appear above reproach, then th it's probably not good for the long-term success mm -hmm. of any relationship or any communication though. Mm -mm. Passive aggressiveness can also be characterized by giving someone the silent treatment. That's passive aggressive. Mm-hmm because they know that something's wrong, but you're also refusing to communicate with them. And that feels bad and it doesn't help the relationship. We have passive, passive, aggressive, uh, assertive comes next, but let's skip that and go to aggressive. Aggressive communication is cruel. Just bullying. Exactly right. It's, it's people who say, I'm just going to give you brutal honesty. Brutal honesty is aggressive communication. Nobody wants to, you to be brutally honest. That is, I think a lot of people 
who communicate will say, I'm going to be brutally honest. They think they're being authentic and transparent, but you can communicate that truth in a way that is compassionate. It doesn't have to be brutal honesty. Yeah. And I think that's maybe where assertiveness comes in. Uh, Aggressive is an attack on the character, whereas assertiveness can be about the thing that that person has done. And if you blend those two lines, that person's actions or that person's results, let's say, and what they've got for their actions. But if it's an attack on that person's character, then that's just bullying. That's just mean. And and although that might feel cathartic for the person doing it, if the end goal is to get a better result, then being aggressive is, is highly unlikely to get any improvement but it might make you feel better but it make that person feel really shit and push them farther away from you and in turn it it will also limit the amount of improvement that that person can actually get get from it Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't become a better person when someone called me fat and ugly it's just you know all of a sudden this become a better person yeah people who communicate aggressively when they think if you were to ask them how they perceive themselves in comparison to the person they're communicating with they would see themselves as being more important than mm-hmm. the other person. Whereas if we go back to passive, someone who's passive sees themselves as being less important. Yeah. And then there's assertive, which we already essentially defined as you openly sharing your, your needs, your wants, thoughts, feelings in a way that is considerate of the person you're communicating with. So even though you know it's going to be maybe an uncomfortable conversation to share those things, you still choose to do it to honor yourself, but you do it in a way that also honors the other person. I think there's very clear examples there where you can think of, you know, I think about working with personal training clients. I can think very specifically about how I can communicate needs, wants, thoughts, and feelings in a positive light, in a negative light, in accountability, in encouragement, I can still use that structure of needs, wants, thoughts, and feelings to help that person improve and achieve a particular outcome. That's quite actionable. Whereas the other ones don't really feel particularly actionable at all. They're, yeah, (laughs) unless it's just, I want this to end, so I'm going to be really passive or I'm gonna be completely finite by being really aggressive. Passive aggressive, you don't really get anywhere as far as I understand it, at least not with me anyway. So assertive is basically the only way to move that of those four styles is the only way to actually get forward movement to, to get headway. And so if I think about it that way and I think about it with clients, with peers, with staff, whatever it might be, then assertive is is the only choice of those four that I'm I'm gonna choose. Let's put this into context with an example. So we put the four into context and I'll give a scenario. Well, I'll give two scenarios and we can choose which one we're going to work with. This scenario one is that you have a personal training client who is notoriously late for their sessions and then they expect to still get the full time that they have and you have to have a conversation with them. The second Mm -hmm. scenario we could work with is let's say you work in a team setting and you're going on vacation And the person who was supposed to cover one of your clients missed the session and you want to have a conversation with them about it. Which one Mm -hmm. of those do you want to work with? Let's pick one. Let's go with the first one. Okay. The client being late. 
Okay. Yeah, because I think everybody that has worked with anybody in any scenario ever has had somebody who's notoriously late. Okay, great. So let's say that's a scenario. How would a passive communicator approach that scenario? Number one, they might not say anything. Yeah, probably not say anything. And I think I've seen, I've seen coaches do that because they don't want to ruffle any feathers because they know that this client is paying their wages and they can't afford to upset them, frustrate them and and lose them as a client. And that only perpetuates this idea that you mentioned, which is I'm lesser than this other person. I don't hold any of the power. This person holds power over me because they pay my wages. So I might mention nothing at all. I might just try and carry on uh, as if, as if nothing's happened probably doesn't make you feel great. And I'll say from a client standpoint, two two things, they're either not going to notice or they're going to feel like they can do it even more. And that's only going to perpetuate the, those issues. So, yeah. So they might not say anything. There is a chance that they do say something. And if it was a passive, if it was passive and they were going to say something, it would be to the tune of, Hey, Jay, glad you're here. We started a couple of minutes ago, but just jump in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hey, mentioning you that you're late. Everything, everything's fine. <laughs> Hey, good to have you here. Do you want to get started? Yeah. There's just no mention of it. You maybe hint at that you're noticing that they're late, but there's no call out that it's a problem. Yeah. Just I know you've already missed the warm-up, but just jump in. You'll be fine. That's probably exactly it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How would a passive aggressive communicator relay the uh, the message to the client? Maybe they uh, they tell this maybe this client's friend also trains at the gym and instead of approaching your client, you have a conversation with their friend about it and say, Hey, you know, yeah, Jay was late again. It's just, it's really tough to get all the work in when he's always late. Me and me, I'm doing that, hoping that you're going to say something to your friend about it. Maybe even over here, me talking, you talking to, to my friend about it. Yeah. Or I'll say something sarcastically. Nice of you to show up spot on uh and then i think the other one could just be ignorance give them the cold shoulder yeah you ignore them when they come in you don't coach you hardly coach them throughout the session if that's a group if it's a group that would make sense or if you're one-on-one you just don't involve yourself in conversation with them throughout the session you just give them the exercises and that's it yep because you're mad i've seen coaches do it but they say right we'll get started and then there's no chit chat there's not Hey, I'm conscious of time. Look, you've, you're you're late today, so we're going to skip this bit and we're going to go straight in here. It's important because blah blah blah, and you can be assertive about it. But instead, you just go, right? Well, I guess we'll start with this then. Douchebag, yeah. real douchebag yeah. move. <laughs> well, and you're just the whole time you're not saying anything about it. You're just building up more and more resentment for the client, and the client now feels like an asshole, and they yeah, feel bad they because you're treating them poorly. And at the same time, you're also giving all your energy to trying to be different, to to not pay any attention to them, which means that you're not paying any attention to them being that your training client, which is shit service, <laughs> really shitty service, far shitter than maybe having a tough conversation, but I'm sure we'll get to that. All right, let's skip assertive. How would aggress- an aggressive communicator approach the client? No, no, I'm thinking of the most extreme versions, but like, hey, you're you're late today. You don't deserve to be here and fucking kicking them out, send them home. Yeah. 
you might yeah. see that in like high school weight rooms or something like that but yeah. you probably you probably don't see it with personal training clients but you yeah. might see it in high school weight rooms or i might come up to you and say you know jay it's clear that you have no respect for my time whatsoever this is the third yeah. time you're late and then i leave it at that yeah so and i'm not, i'm going to charge you, you today but i'm not going to train you yeah that <laughs> it it's accusatory it's blaming without yeah. making a request for anything how would an assertive communicator have a conversation with the client? Well, we're going to consider needs, wants, thoughts, and feelings. So yeah. I would define it. Hey, seems you're a little you're a little bit late today. Is everything okay? I'll probably show some compassion and say, is everything all right? Yeah, yeah, just running behind, busy at work. Okay, well, I'm, I'm conscious of time. So we're going to skip the warm-up today. It's not ideal, but we'll, we'll get what we can get done. I've got another session at bang on five o'clock, whatever it is. And whatever we get done today, we'll get done. We're still going to make the most of it. Let's get on with it. So I'm I'm calling it out what it is. I'm, I'm being empathetic and showing that I, I do genuinely care. They could have had a really shitty day. And I don't want to just accuse them of being a douchebag if they've, you know, their cats just died or something. I'm still going to highlight that it's important that we get going and it's important that they're going to be there for the full session next time. And it allows me to continue with my job and, and what I want to do, treat them kindly and then get on with it. And it, there's a phrase I'm trying to think of, but it's, it's escaping me, but maybe you're just addressing the elephant in the room. Yeah. And the longer you don't address the elephant in the room, the more it becomes a herd of elephants and you get, it becomes no, there's no room for anything else at that point. Yeah. It, this, the assertive approach reminds me a lot of Kim Scott's Radical Candor. That That's a book. That book is mostly related to giving tough feedback, but I think it applies mm -hmm. in this scenario. And the two parts of the Radical Candor process are care personally, challenge directly. So as an example, I have I was working with someone who was average 10 minutes late to all of our meetings. And I let it go the first two times, but then I realized I was starting to, I was starting to resent this person. Mm -hmm. So I decided to say something about it and we got on and I said, it's been a habit now that the last three sessions we've had together, you've been at least 10 minutes late while I've been sitting, waiting here for you. And there are other things that I want to be doing with my time. If you're going to be late. Would you be able to, in the future, send me a text if you're not going to be on time so that I can use that extra time to do something else or we can reschedule if needed? Mm -hmm. So now in that, I'm letting him, I'm sharing the observation of you're late. This is a pattern. I'm stating my own feelings about it is that I don't appreciate this because I'm sitting here when I could be doing something else with my time. And then I'm making a request of, would it be possible for you to do this? Which they could have said no to. And then we could have said, well, what's another way we could set up our sessions, which would allow you to be on time? Yeah. It gives you, there's an opportunity to problem solve. You get heard. You give them an opportunity to, hey, yeah, they're gonna make, again, maybe there's a reason. And maybe they don't feel like they can come to you, but it starts the conversation and other forms of communication, be it passive, be it passive aggressive, be it aggressive, closes the door. Whereas assertiveness states what you need, states your preferences, states how you're thinking and feeling, and it allows them the opportunity to to, to have the conversation as well. And conversation and, and communicating in general is the only thing that's going to move it forward. So if you're committed to being able to move that conversation forward, 
then being assertive is is likely your only your best opportunity to do it whilst we're on the idea of books there's another great book crucial conversations if you people who haven't listened to or uh, sorry i listen to most books but who haven't read it and the subtitle for that is tools for talking when the stakes are high if you're a personal trainer and, and clients pay your bills and you have 50 percent of your clients tend to be late then there's a couple of things to do. First off, if you've got 50% of your clients that are turning up late, then there's maybe some self-reflection to do. But it also just allows you to practice some skills and, and Crucial crucial Conversations is, is a book packed full put full with those. So just a I little recommendation for people there. <clears throat> Excuse me. That book is great. It has a lot of, I like the strategies they suggest and they feel really applicable or, or at least easy to apply. Mm-hmm. I will say when you apply things communication strategies that are different than the way you're currently communicating it it should be uncomfortable so if it feels uncomfortable that means you're doing it right i think too often i see people trying to apply a new communication strategy and it feels uncomfortable so they let that determine or they'll say well because it's uncomfortable i'm doing it wrong or this is not the right one for me and i think that's not true yeah. Anytime you change a behavior or habit, it should feel uncomfortable. And if it's feeling uncomfortable, that's usually a sign that you're on the right track. That's a great point. I actually just scheduled a, an article to go out this weekend about exactly that, talking about just new habits in general, that if you expect, if your expectations are that it's going to be perfect and any, any new skill that you try, be it communication or you know some nutrition intervention, something like that then you're, you've got mismatched expectations, especially when you're practicing it in new environments. It's not going to be, or it's, and especially when you're having a conversation where it's a dynamic environment and there's another person to it that could respond to any, any number of ways, you can only practice it and you're not going to be great at it at first. And if you go in with the expectation that you're going to be great at it first, you're probably going to try it once, struggle, feel like shit, not try it again. Go in, see what worked, how you felt about it. Chances are you're probably going to feel better about the outcome than not saying it at all. And there's a lot of self-efficacy being built up in you actually trying to improve your situation. You you don't build up any self-efficacy or skills by not doing anything by uh, maybe being the victim is is the wrong term there, but by being the being passive, being the victim, I can't do anything about this. Go in, try it. If it feels clunky, as you're saying, you're probably doing it right. Mm Mm-hmm. In regards to assertive communication, people who don't currently communicate assertively, but who want to, I've, in conversations that I've had with people in that situation, their greatest fear is that they are going to sound aggressive or too direct. Mm-hmm. So I want to take some time to talk a little bit about that line between assertive and aggressive and just mm-hmm. generally that line is about are you delivering your message in a kind way or a cruel way because aggressive is usually characterized by blaming one one thing that distinguishes assertive communication is when you hear someone use a lot of i statements i feel like this i Mm -hmm. want this to happen this was my experience with this whereas an aggressive communicator is you, 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 you did this. You made me feel like this. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest difference. Yeah. I think when you're afraid to communicate directly, ask yourself, am I going into this, making I statements, owning my thoughts, my feelings, my requests, 
or am I going into this blaming and just reflecting everything onto this person that they made me mm -hmm. feel a certain way? I'm demanding they do something for me, not requesting mm -hmm. they do something for me. Yeah. Go back to the example you gave a minute ago with the person being late into meetings. When we meet, I feel that my time is being wasted when you're late. I would, can I ask, or I'd like to ask that you do something so that I don't feel this way. You're trying to get your needs met. And that is a great place to, 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 to come from. Hey, this is not working for me. This is what I need for it to work for me. This is what I need from you. And that's it. That, that's, that's probably the simplest way that I can think of it. So I think that's a great summation there. The other way, as you were talking, I was thinking using the, using the word I versus you is very strategic within your sentence. You can notice when you're talking to somebody, how many times have I pointed that the verbal finger at somebody and said, you, you, you. And how many times have I said, I, I know that I'm on track and I'm doing a pretty good job. If I'm saying I a lot, when you're about to go into that conversation, I think something that you have said before, I've seen in countless Instagram posts and, and read in your newsletter that how do you want this person to think, feel and act differently at the end of it? I think that applies here as well. I don't want them to, I want them to think differently how can they change what they're doing so I don't feel like garbage? I don't want them to feel like shit unless I'm a sociopath. And how do I want them to act differently? Well, next time I want them to either text me when they're going to be late or be on time. That's what I need from them. So think, feel, and do, or think, think, feel, and act in a particular way. If you That can help you structure an outcome for how you're about to speak to this person. Mm -hmm. Can we take a moment to talk about some of the situations coaches trainers health practitioners might be in when it would benefit them to be assertive oh yeah there's i think there's countless i'll go down a list here of ones that i was just writing out from my notes sales if you are in sales you're selling anything in fitness assertiveness is helpful discussing results or, or lack of results if you're checking in with a client after 12 weeks accountability check-ins if like me you work with remote clients who you need to be able to touch base with regularly you need to be able to give direct feedback and be assertive staff meetings which i know is something that you added here job interviews and coaching globally in general whether it's one-on-one -on -one or, or in person i think assertive communication is going to be super useful in in all of those mm -hmm. and when i hear assertive what i actually think and as i go back to an episode you something you mentioned sorry on last week's episode which was being in charge people want to be led and assertive communication contributes to that feeling of them being led. Just like we mentioned last week, if I was to come onto the floor and you're my personal training client and I say, all right, Jenny, what do you want to do today? I'm not in charge. That's not assertive communication. But if I come on the floor and I say, Jenny, how's it going? This is what we've got planned for today. We're going to do this, this, and this. This is how it aligns with your goals. Let's go ahead and get started that's assertive communication and it only contributes to all the other components of me being the leader and you being led. It's pretty good value for money as well. I would feel like people actually feel like, oh, this is worth the hundred something dollars that I'm paying this person to, to, to be yeah. here with me. Even to build on that example, you said you go out to the client and you say, what do you want to do today? Another version of that, even if I go out there and I say, Jay, so we're, um, 
we're gonna I think we're gonna do some squats and then I think <laughs> I think because we want to do this, I kind of am thinking we do this mm -hmm. and then maybe there's all this what they call hedging language. Yeah. Kind of, sort of, maybe things that make the person question if you if this is really what you want to do, if you're guessing, <laughs> if you're making it up along the way. And often people who use hedging language do know what they're trying to say. They also just believe that if they say it directly, they're going to come across as being aggressive. Mm -hmm. So they integrate hedging language into their speech in order to soften it. But really the result that happens is, yes, you come across as soft, but you also come across as doubtful. And it doesn't sound like you really know what you want to do. Yeah, hedging language is like you. This is almost like the use of verbs. It's not. Oh well, hopefully it's. Well, we're just gonna. This is what we're gonna do. <laughs> we are going to be doing. We're we're squatting today. Like no, not maybe kind of sort like get in with your language and be direct. Tell the person the thing that you're going to do because you've already thought about it. You've already prepped. You've already planned. And if you've done it well, then you've planned based off what they told you they want anyway. And so there's no reason to hedge your language if you've already prepped, if you've already planned. I will say from a personal standpoint, when you do have those assertive conversations, when I had to, sorry, when I do have those assertive conversations, I feel brilliant because I've acted in line with my values, which is I, I, I want to do a really good job. And I, I feel like I can't do as good a job if I don't say these things, if I don't get more from this person, if I don't get met in the middle or, or whatever it is I need from that person. So it's very empowering to be assertive. And just like we just mentioned, when you first plan it out in your head, you might be thinking, oh, these are all the ways that this could go wrong. And what if, and what if, and what if. Chances are that this person wants to be led and assertive language is part of being led. And if they, if you don't lead them, it's just chaos and they'll lead themselves. And again, you mentioned last week, if you don't have a leader on a boat, the boat sinks. <laughs> like, or you don't have a leader in a classroom, it's just bloody mayhem. People are swinging from the lampshades and, and there has to be a leader in, in that environment, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or whether it's in a group. And assertive language is part of that. Yeah. Well said. Let's talk a little bit about what assertive communication looks like and sounds like mm -hmm. that's the tactical aspect of it and i don't i want to put a disclaimer out here that i there's there's no there's never any one right way to do something mm -hmm. however what we're going to go through is maybe more characteristic of what we see and hear from people who do communicate assertively let's start with yeah the physical side, the one that came to mind first, which I talk about a lot is eye contact. Mm -hmm. Let me take a step back here for a moment. Before we get into this, you and I also spoke before this episode of the importance of understanding culture, because mm. some of the things that you and I are going to talk about right now are pretty spot on, I would say, for those of us that live in what they call low context cultures, like Americans. Canadians, Australians, those are low context cultures. Low context cultures means you can say that English we as well. rely it's English less as well for sure. Yeah, and English as well. Yeah, that's also there. Yeah. We rely less on intuiting a message from what we don't hear. We hmm. just say what we want to say, usually. Whereas if you were, let's say, Jay, I think you gave the example of maybe you have an athlete on your team who's coming in from a high context culture like Japan, 
think mm-hmm. Latin Americans are high context culture, meaning there's a lot to read between the lines. A lot of their communication doesn't happen verbally. It happens in mm-hmm. their facial expressions, maybe little words that they share, the shared language that they have. So you have to be cognizant that some of the things we're going to talk about right now are pretty applicable to these low context cultures, but they may not apply when you're interacting with someone who's coming from a high context culture. Yeah, I I would imagine lots of people have heard this example before, but in some cultures, you don't shake hands with, with your right hand. You only shake it with your left because your right hand is for going to the bathroom and ablutions. And so you only shake hands with your left or something like that. That That's something to be aware of. And then, and although that's an extreme example, I have worked with a guy before who found me online who wanted to learn the, the foundational kettlebell skills. And he was from a, I don't want to get it wrong. So he was a, from a Southeast Asian uh, family where he rarely looked me dead in the eye and when he did he would hang he would bow his head a little bit more and at first I just thought oh shit am I am I being overpowering am I uh, am I being am I off base here but he literally just did that with everybody and that was part of that was part of that that cultural f- family setup where if I'd have gone to high five him at the end of his training session I, he probably would have dodged out of the way as if I was going to hit him or something like it just not common for him so you know knowing knowing that you might have to do a bit, maybe a bit of research and maybe develop some skills if you do work with a a more dynamic set of people than yeah. maybe most of us do. Yeah, great, good. That's exactly it, is if you're working with someone who's from a different culture than you, you should do a little bit of research to learn mm-hmm. about how they communicate or depending on your relationship with that person, just ask. Mm-hmm. All right. Eye contact, assertive communication. When you see someone who's communicating assertively, often they're comfortable making eye contact because when we look at somebody, that's what connects us to one another. It allows me to read your facial expressions. It allows you to see that I'm being genuine in the delivery of my message. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I were looking down as I was communicating, that would come across as passive or deferential to you, or maybe I'm signaling to you that I'm intimidated by you. Or if I was Mm -hmm. looking around, then it would be a cue to you that I'm really uncomfortable in this situation. Eye contact allows us to connect with one another. And when we're connected, it shows care because Mm -hmm. I can pay attention now to how you're actually receiving my message. It's interesting. At the age of 36, I can now go back and kind of go through catalogs of conversations where I felt lots of those things. And I know as an adult with ADD, I know that eye contact is not something that I'm great at in general because I get visually distracted by people. Having said that, outside of, so so that's something to notice as well. If somebody isn't looking at you, it's maybe because they find you visually distracting and they're trying to keep themselves organized mentally. Alternatively, it can be very as you just said, very telling as to all those other things. And none of the things you just mentioned seemed inherently positive. Being intimidated by somebody, feeling lesser than by seeing deferential towards somebody, none of those things are, are typically great. And so knowing that about yourself, if you're not great at making eye contact, then just knowing that is helpful because you can say, hey, I know I'm not great at making eye contact. I know how that can appear. I'm working on it. I want you to know that I'm not not appearing deferential or, or intimidated or whatever it is. And at the same time, understanding that the person in front of you might also not make eye contact. So that's just a personal share there. Yeah, I love it. Thank you for the context. (laughs) The uh, just and then the other thing physically, just at more broadly, is your 
body language generally is mm. are you are you slouching are you caved in with your shoulders do you have your arms crossed it's not to say that those mean anything bad i could just have my arms crossed because that's how i'm comfortable standing it's not about what the truth is it's about how it's being perceived <laughs> it, it really that's it though i don't it doesn't yeah. this is like generally with all body language and communication is you could have every reason why you're just doing it because you're comfortable and this is just mm. how you stand but it doesn't matter what you think it matters how it's being perceived by the people that you're communicating with Right. And if you're trying to convey a particular message, then it's worth you modifying that if your message is more important than your comfort, which most of the time it is. I yeah. don't want I don't want somebody who I'm trying to get to buy a thousand dollars worth of training off me to think that I'm being passive or aggressive or passive aggressive. I don't want because it's not going to yield the outcome. It's more important to me to yield the outcome. So I need to try and practice that thing because what's most important is how they're perceiving it. There's but a great I'm... book called How Emotions Are Made. Is it maybe it's Lisa Feldman Barrett? I'm uh and a lot of that is a lot of body language is talked about in that. It's quite a it's quite a dense book. I would advise listening to it and reading it. Does she together. do a TED talk? She, I think so, yeah. Uh I want to say I've seen the made. TED talk. It's a it's a great book. Mm -hmm. If you Lisa Feldman Barrett is the is the author, yeah. Uh it's a great book. If you're interested more in body language, that's the kind of thing that you can dive, really dive deep into. As I said, it's a, there's a lot of, mm -hmm. there's a wealth of work there. So when I generally, I would say I'm, I would say now I'm more often than not, I communicate assertively. My default though, would be to communicate passively. If you, if you and I had met 10 years ago, 15 mm -hmm. years ago, I was very passive assertive being assertive was something that i've worked on for a long time and not just on my own with the help of therapy and finding healthy relationships mm -hmm. when i go when i'm going into a conversation that i'm uncomfortable having but that i know i need to assert something in mm -hmm. one thing i know i tend to do is the eye contact is that i would default to either looking down or not making direct eye contact but the other one is bringing my hands together and fid and just rubbing my hands together in the middle. And that to me, it would be a comfort thing because I was mm -hmm. uncomfortable. So now when I go into those conversations, when I have to assert myself, what I feel uncomfortable, something I'll tell myself is when you're doing this, keep your hands down or, or beware of when your hands are coming together and keep them apart. Because I know that the impact of me keeping this the center of my body open to this person i will appear more connected to them and open to receiving them and also i'm just communicating the the image that i want to communicate and mm -hmm. that i value my needs my wants my requests and they're worthy enough to communicate them with you directly without coming across as being submissive or or passive that's such a great such a great summation of that and Sweet. it's practice we're all just going to get slightly better at it with practice so these are great skills to know we're not all going to have them all under our belt these are it's just practice and we can be better at practicing them if we're if we're aware of mm -hmm. them for sure will you go through the you have a list here on our notes <laughs> yeah. about some of the vocal stuff will you talk about that sure the uh, the 
when I think about this in a training context, there are some hallmarks of assertive communication. And the first one is is tone. And for some reason, my brain went to, uh, in the American version of The Office, in the later seasons where Michael Scott has left, Steve Carell's left, and they're looking for a new manager. James Spader plays a character. It's Robert California. And if you go to, if you just Google, go to YouTube, you'll be able to see his his interview. And he's interviewed by the characters of Jim Toby and Gabe and James Spader is who just oozes confidence in a lot of the things you just said in terms of relaxed open body language eye contact his message is absolute garbage he's just talking bollocks absolute nonsense but he delivers it in a way that's so calm and so firm that when he leaves the room the three interviewers all just say they're all kind of taken aback by him. I think Jim says something like, I'm pretty sure he's quite creepy and I'm pretty sure he's a psychopath, but he might also be a genius because Jim is quite confused because the the message is dog shit, it's just garbage. But the way he delivers it is so intoxicating that, and it's intoxicating because of, in my opinion, his tone and as you, on top of that, that body language. So I, I encourage anybody, potentially people are listening to this being like, Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, or you can just go and go and Google it. It's the, it's the Robert California is the character and it's his interview with Dunder Mifflin. So yeah, I also think there's an element there of because he delivers it in that way, it buys him time. It keeps people interested. Even if he was to lose his trailer thought, even if he was delivering something contextually appropriate, then it would buy him time. You know, when you listen to somebody speak, sometimes if you go back and watch your favorite TED talks, the ones that have deliberate pauses keep you on the edge. They keep you waiting. You don't think to somebody, you don't think, oh, that person's lost their trailer thought. You know, if you ever watch Simon Sinek, he walks across the stage and for maybe like 20 seconds, he doesn't say anything. He just goes and gets a drink and he collects his thoughts and everybody's just waiting. They're also processing lots of stuff. They're, these structured pauses are like punctuations. And this is something I actually learned from you. If you don't punctuate your speech, you're, the audience is constantly playing catch up. And for some reason, the way I think of this is, you know, when you're in like an online checkout, and it asks you whether you're a robot or not. And you have to write down the letters you see. And it's just like a mash of letters that are in like a curvy line. And you're reading it sideways like that. And you're like, what the fuck is that? I don't know what letter or number or shape that is. And by the time I've got to the end of it, I'm thinking, or if I, especially if I get it wrong, sometimes I just think, oh, sod it. I'm not even going to buy it. I'll just close the page because the, the task was too difficult. And the way that that translates is potentially that if you make listening or following along so difficult by not giving people pauses, you just lose them. They just stop listening. Or they're so far behind that your message just becomes very low impact because they're playing catch up. The clarity of the message component is something that I feel like you can speak to very specifically. And a lot of that comes from, or my interpretation of that comes from the work that you put all of us through in your one day seminar. If you can talk more specifically to that. Yeah, clarity of message is just when we communicate assertively, you're giving people the minimum effective dose of information they need oh, in yeah. order to understand what you want them to understand. It's eliminating the over-explaining. I like to say, if people want to know more, they will ask you. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't want to give them everything, give them what they need to know in order to get your point across mm -hmm. and then stop 
and let them ask questions, tell you what resonated with them, but we don't want to, we don't want to give them everything at once. But the only way you can do that is to know what point you're trying to make in the first place. Assertive communication is, it always starts with the communicator knowing what it is they are trying to say. Mm -hmm. We're not finding our point as we're speaking. We find our point and then we speak. Mm -hmm. And when you said that there, I was thinking that's very being, being very outcome driven and outcome driven is a lot of the time what personal trainers will do. They'll have a particular outcome in mind that they've talked about with their client, and then they'll reverse engineer methods that can help them best get there, providing they're not locked in their own biases of one particular exercise being the best way to do something that being outcome driven and reverse engineering is is applicable in many scenarios and we're probably already doing it as coaches in in our training you can do it again in your in your communication this but the also dose makes the poison as you just said this also plays into that that acronym bluff b-l-u-f which stands for bottom mm-hmm. line up front often in assertive communication there's not an explanation and then the the request or the statement it's the statement or the request followed by the explanation because people need a frame. Let's say, let's go back to the example we used earlier of that client who's consistently late for class. Let's say you want to suggest they move into a different class time that might work better. If you come into the gym and I say, Jay, I I want to take a moment here. I want to just walk you through the schedule. We have a couple of other classes on the schedule. We've got one at 9am, we run another one at 11. And then if the evening would work better. And the whole time I'm saying this to you, you're thinking, why is she telling me the class times? And then at the end of the message, I say, so, you know, you've been late a couple of times and I'm just thinking maybe one of these other classes will work better for you. And you say, oh, there it is. That's, (laughs) that's what you're trying to say. Clarity of messages often, I should have led with that and said, Jay, I'm noticing you're late and I'm wondering if maybe there's another class time that would work better for you. Can I walk you through the schedule to show you what we've got? That acronym works incredibly well because it's about speed and clarity. That's why the military use it. And that's what you've just said. You tell them the issue and then you pretend, you offer them which options, potential options you can elaborate on. Mm-hmm. And even if you're writing an email, that also works really well. This is the, this is what we're talking about. And then you can click here, here, and here to get to the links to further information if you're in, depending on which option you're most interested in, rather than you know, have you ever been on the internet where <laughs> you're looking for a recipe and you have to scroll all the way to the bottom yeah. for the bloody recipe? Yeah. And like, I don't need to know about a time you were out on a fishing boat with your friend's dad and, you know, you saw a beautiful sunset. I, all I want to know is how to make fucking banana bread. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I, I want to I do. just instantly look for that button that says jump to recipe. If they have them. Yeah. Hopefully, why, if, if you have a jump to recipe... What? Just make it yes, the recipe. Exactly. What? What's anyway? I'm going off here, but that's a pet peeve of mine, I guess. But yeah, yeah. this is this is what this is what you we want to make. This is how to make it, and then stick the story yeah. of how you came to find such beautiful recipes. <laughs> after it, tell me why I came here. I, I came um, here for this. That yeah. is a tremendous analogy, and it's a thing <laughs> now I will forever laugh at every time I'm scrolling with a frown on my face. Oh, I just hear, it's one of the only times that I feel like I ever hear Jen be pissed off. She's like, I don't care. Just tell me how to make blueberry muffins. <laughs> I want to, before you go on to the the last point you have, I wanted to touch on tone, which you talked about. And you gave mm-hmm. that office with the example. I had told you earlier about 
I want to say it's a it's a Russian proverb. I don't know if proverbs the right way, but it said, "When you meet a man, judge him by his dress. When you leave a man, judge him by his heart." And the point you made with Robert California from the office is that he enraptured people in the way he was communicating. We have to remember when we when we interact with people regardless if it's the first time we've ever interacted with them or if it's just the next day and we were with them yesterday and now we're seeing them again today, that first few minutes of the interaction, people are only judging you based on the surface level aspects of how you're communicating. What you mm-hmm. look like, does do you look like you slept eight hours or two hours? Is you, yep. your hair a mess? Do you sound, is your voice hoarse? Does it sound like you're energetic? Does it sound like you're annoyed? Do you look upset about something and your body language is closed off. And most people aren't doing that consciously, but we're always evaluating people based on our, from this proverb dress. So when I say dress, Mm -hmm. it's not just clothes, just your physical and your vocal communication skills and your appearance. But over the course of that interaction, we shift away from those surface level judgments and we move into a deeper appreciation of who this person is. Do they care about me? All those things. But we need to remember that, that how you show up and how you communicate and how people perceive the way you're communicating is so, so, so important because mm-hmm. it sets the lens of how they're going to interpret your information that comes after that. So I love that that example you gave of the office. I think it's totally appropriate. And a little trainer hack on top of this. I don't know how many people are going to listen to this and pin me to the post about it, but if you've been, if, if you like me have trained eight to 10 hours a day, starting at 6am and finishing at 8pm at some point during your career, you know that when you get to the gym at 5.45 in the morning and you feel like a hot bag of shit on fire and you're like, I don't want to be here. I just want to be in bed. You can be more strategic with your energy. When somebody comes in at six, boom, meet them with a great first impression. And then 15 minutes later, then if you need to wind it back a little bit, you can wind it back a little bit. Same for your 7am, same for your 8am, if you need to make it through the day, rather than being like, you know what, I'm just going to build slowly into the session. Reverse that because your impact's going to, if you're going to use that effort regardless, reverse the order of it because your impact's going to be much more profound if you do it high impact, great first impression. And then maybe you pump the brakes a little bit on all, all, all your out, <laughs> outgoing personality so that you can save energy for the rest of the day or, or maybe just uh, ameliorate or sorry, modify, I guess, down, bring it down a little bit. Because if you go in at 6 a.m. And, and your first client is like raring to go and they're there at 6 a.m., that kind of goes to that idea of, which I'm sure every personal trainer has heard or read before, that you know your 6 a.m. client should get the same experience as your 10 a.m. client. Well, this is one of the ways that you can do that. It doesn't mean that you have to be on at 6 a.m. and just as on at 10 just means that if you in order to make it through the day if you're going to modify give it up front and then pull it back a little bit every hour on the hour i love that give that person a great first impression that's great that's a great technique i've never thought of doing something like that (laughs) and i love it it's it it reminds me a lot of telling i tell my stepdaughter when we have dinner to eat her vegetables first so that they're just out of the way. It's kind of like managing your energy. Way, yeah. Just put the put the tough stuff up front when you don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't it. worry about nutrient timing at this point. Just get <laughs> get the peas and carrots out of the way first and then move on to the good stuff. <laughs> For sure. 
All right. You have one more thing on this list about being flexible. Can you talk about that a little bit in regards to assertive communication? Yeah. I, again, I, this is going to, this is going to light bulb in a few coaches heads if they have to do any sales, but the way I'm thinking of being flexible is I have seen coaches talk themselves out of a sale. The client says, yeah, I'm in. And, but because they already have a predetermined message that they feel like they need to get through, they keep going. And because they feel like it, for some reason, maybe it adds value. It shows expertise. If the client is in, take the yes, learn to take yes for an answer. You don't need to keep going with the script. If there are things that you have to say, terms and conditions, you can do those things still, still make sure that you do those. But if the person says, great, you know, you finish up a, a first session with somebody, great job today, you did really well, how do you feel? Do you know what, where do I sign? Take my money, I'm ready to sign up, let's do a year. Okay, well, these are the memberships that we have and typically, you know, okay, how frequently do you wanna train? I wanna do two days a week for a year. Well, there's lots of these different options and people typically choose like, shut, the, shut up, stop right now. And this is what I mean by being flexible. You can have a predetermined outcome, but if you feel like you have to go through the same methodology to get there, it it's, can be problematic. Have an outcome that you're trying to get to. And if you get there ahead of time because the client gets there or some other tangential way you get there, be okay with it. Take it as a yes. Do your due diligence by sharing terms and conditions and making sure the person has all the information up front, but don't be so don't be so married to being assertive that you feel like you have to keep going through the script you, it's not necessary and again i i've definitely done it myself early on in my career i've seen coaches who i've hired in the past downgrade a client from 3 days a week to 1 day a week simply just by almost like caring too much basically you you're not being irresponsible you're just moving along you you just mentioned it's minimum effective dose if the dose, all the dose that person needs is you giving them a great experience in the gym, great. Leave the sales script. It's not necessary. You don't need to overdose them. That's fantastic. And I do think being flexible is a form of assertiveness. The example you gave, if I'm talking to a potential client and they're giving me clear cues that they're ready to move forward, me being assertive is taking that and running with it and moving it right. to the next productive step. It's not playing this track over and over. That's more passive than assertive. Right. Great. Great point. To wrap up here, I'm thinking we could talk about how anyone listening to this episode might immediately apply what we covered. Maybe we can think of a few, ideate a few ideas of how they can put this into practice. And what one thought that came to mind for me is, saying no to something because often assertiveness plays out really well when you need to decline someone. If someone invites you out for mm -hmm. something, if someone wants you to cover a session and you've traditionally always said yes to them because mm -hmm. maybe they're more senior than you on the team that you work on saying no. Your boss. Yeah. Or they're, they're your boss, but let's <sighs> say you have a, you have another commitment that is, can be flexible if it needs to be, but you'd rather it not be. Mm-hmm practice saying no. And the way to do that, we don't want to just say no and then be done with it because that's curt. That would be aggressive. Instead, it's what use what is known as an empathetic assertion. That is a form of assertive communication. An empathetic assertion is when you lead with an empathetic statement and then you follow with your assertion. Let's say, Jay, you're my boss and you say, Jenny, I really need you to coach the 4 p.m. class tomorrow. Can you do that? 
and I say, Jay, thanks for asking me. I know you're probably, I know we're short staffed right now and you're probably scrambling mm-hmm. to find someone, but I have another commitment that I can't move on. So I'm sorry, but I cannot coach tomorrow. Yeah. So I was empathetic and that I recognize you're in a tough spot. And then I asserted myself by saying, no, I cannot do that. It's recognition of the person's situations and feelings by followed by a statement that that I have to do this instead. Mm-hmm. I recognize that this is tough, but this is what I'm going to do. But it doesn't fall in line with what you wanted me to. But that's fine. You're just standing up for your own fear. Like you know, the speaker stands up for their own rights. Yeah. Another example I was thinking of practicing this is multiple times during a week, people ask you what you think about something what are your opinions on this exercise? Mm -hmm. Where do you want to go to lunch? If you're someone who consistently responds with, well, I don't care, or I don't know, what do you think? Instead, Mm -hmm. assert your viewpoint or opinion. Here is what I think. Here is what I feel. Here's what I do know. Here's what my experience has said. And interject yourself, put yourself on the table by taking ownership of something. And that can also sound like, I'm not qualified to talk about that. I I don't feel like I can talk specifically about that. So I don't have a great answer. And that can be your answer. Mm -hmm. You you don't have to try and you don't have to be passive about it and try and speak in a, in a place where maybe you don't particularly feel qualified and then end up rambling and so on and so on. Any other ideas of how people can practice this? Jenny, I know I was 10 minutes late. But can we do a full, like, we'll do a full hour, yeah? You know, I was only 10 minutes late. We'll, I'll stay past the hour. So being able to say no, assertive communication in that regard is when somebody turns, oh, here's an example. When somebody turns up 10 minutes late, hey, I've got another person right at five o'clock. We're going to get all the things we can get done to, to, together. And then I'm going to leave you right on the hour and you're going to finish up and I'll make sure you know everything that you're going to do. And then if that if that works for you, great. Obviously, next time we'll we'll try and make sure that we're here on the hour or we'll have other conversation. But you can say no and you can give them, empower them to to keep doing something else, providing it's applicable and you're not taking up space from people in the next hour. But you can say, I can't do that, but you can do this instead, mm-hmm. which is very, that's the kind of empathetic assertion. Like, hey, I know you want to get the most out of your money. I can't do this, but you can do this instead. Mm-hmm. Maybe also you have a client who in the middle of a session, the client does a lot more socializing than working and you want to assert yourself in making sure you can get through the program. That's another opportunity for you to assert yourself. I really interested in listening to the story. It sounds like you had a really good time on this vacation. Is there a way we can do this where you're still getting the work done? Mm -hmm. Do you want to chat at the end of the session? Is this how you want to use your time today? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I'm more than willing to listen, but I also know that you're here to train. And that's really helpful as well, because I think down the road, you're calling attention to something. If that person isn't getting results because they're spending 30 minutes yapping, then you've called attention to it and you've built a catalog of evidence that says, well, this is potentially a contributor as to why we're not, because we we talk a lot. And I've asked you whether you want to do that and you want, you've told me you want to do that. So yeah, that's the, that's you. But you in inserting a break that means you can call attention to something in a, in an empathetic but in assertive mm-hmm. way. Yeah, I Great. think the big takeaway is look, write down three situations oh. you're going to be in this week where you know that you hesitate to share what you feel about something. You hesitate to share a viewpoint. 
it's someone you feel intimidated by. And so you, you push down your thoughts or ideas with this person and ask yourself, what's one thing I can do in this situation or in, in this interaction with this person to make a statement of ownership of something, whether that be a feeling, a viewpoint, a request. That's a, that's a really useful skill. And I know you've asked people in other workshops that you've done in the past, write down three ways that you can use this skill. Where th- was three type places that you can be assertive this week? People will be able to write it down like, mm-hmm. like lightning, no problems. Yeah. Great. I think that's a great example. So to bring this full sense. circle, we said assertive communication is say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it in say a mean in a way. Mean way. When you have a thought, say it, just do so in a way that also considers how it's going to make the other person feel. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean hide it and bury it down. It means say it, just say it in a kind way. Jay, this was fun. Yeah. And then the two books to to look into to potentially expand more on those two things are Radical Candor and Crucial Conversations will give you lots of frameworks to to try and populate your own thoughts around and also give you some actionable tasks to practice. And, and maybe there's, because there is such a wealth of examples in there, maybe one of them will be almost exactly what you experience. And so give you an opportunity to, to practice that framework specifically. So I think they're two great resources as well. Great. Thanks for bringing those up again. You're welcome. Good chat and Jay. All right, mate. Thanks for listening to the show. As this is a podcast about communication, we value and welcome your input, any feedback you have, and questions about how we could make the show even better for you. We'd love it if you click the link in the show notes to do so.